0: Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm number 9. Psalm number 9. And that's what we'll be picking up tonight. And again, we look to the heading to maybe get a little bit of insight into uh, the occasion for the psalm. And, and it's really an interesting title here. Almost sounds morbid. It says, to the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son. Uh, and it's a psalm of David. Uh, tradition gives us a little bit of help here in in determining what was going on. Uh, according to tradition, this David wrote this psalm after he defeated the great son of the Philistines, Goliath. And uh, it seems to fit the context of 1 Samuel 17, so... I think we'll go with that as far as our uh the context for this psalm. Uh he begins in verse number 1 and and nothing new for David. He says, "I will praise you, O Lord." And he says with my whole heart. That's that's the way we want to praise the Lord. We talked about that last week and David over and over again claims that he praised the Lord or he wants to praise the Lord with his whole heart. And that's what we want to do too. I will tell of your marvelous works you know I believe it is our privilege and duty to praise the Lord in every circumstance that we're in especially in difficult circumstances it's a lot harder uh, when you're fighting the battle or you're losing the battle to praise the Lord than it is when you win a great battle like David here did here but I got to tell you it's kind of fun at times to win the battle isn't it and when you win those battles, especially those big battles that that seem impossible and you know that God's had a part in your victory, I mean, it's just natural for praise to pour off your lips. I mean, you don't have to struggle with it at all. And, and, uh, and I believe that's when it's the easiest to praise the Lord with all your heart. Uh, but, boy, if we could reach the point of maturity... Uh, in our faith to where we could praise the Lord with all our heart in every situation, even when we don't get good news, even when we we don't get the victory, even when when things seem to be uh, a total loss in our lives. uh, To come to that point where you can praise the Lord in that situation, that's when you've really matured as a Christian, and that's when... You're going to find power in praise, I believe there's power in praise. I read a book when I first got saved. he got a book called Power and Praise and uh, I think he made a great case for the fact that that uh, when we praise the Lord, I mean we we set ourselves up for for victory. We set ourselves up for victory, maybe not in a particular situation but an overall victory in our life uh, when we can learn that 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 uh, we're going to honor the Lord no matter what our situation is. Then in verse number two, he says, I will be glad and rejoice. And watch what he says. He didn't say, I will be glad and rejoice in the victory that you gave me. He says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. The best part of winning a victory. And I think this was the case when David defeated Goliath, the very best part of winning a victory that, you know, you couldn't have won in your own strength. Is that you know the Lord was present. And he was present in your life. And he's the one who gave you that victory. And he gave you that victory because you're his child. And and, and it's just as if, I mean, whenever you get those great victories, it's as if you sense the Lord's very presence. And, and, uh, and you're glad and you rejoice. Uh, in, not in the victory, but in him. Then he says, I will sing praise To your name most high. Uh, What's the name most high? The name most high is Jehovah, Jehovah God. But you want to take it one step further. It's Jesus because his name is Jehovah's salvation. And without his salvation, we have no relationship with Jehovah. So the name above all names, the name that uh, uh, we praise is the name of Jesus and uh, we know that uh, we can trust him and, and in the end, all things, no matter what situation we're in, all things are going to work together for the good of those that love the Lord and, call, er, and are called according to his purpose. And, and David now applies this to, to uh, his victory over the Philistines and over Goliath. And he says in verse number three, he says, when my enemies turn back, They shall fall and perish at your presence. So when David defeated Goliath and the Philistines, uh, he knew that it wasn't his skills as a warrior that uh, gave him the victory. He knew that the reason he had the victory was that the Lord was present. And again, he rejoiced in the fact that the Lord was present. I mean, listen to his words over in 1 Samuel 17. And you don't have to turn there. But he says, you come to me, and he's speaking to Goliath. David says, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the, the, the God most high, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Then he goes on in a verse or two later, and he says, Then all this assembly, once I have this victory over you, shall know that the Lord does not save by the sword of spear. Because look at me, I'm a little David, I'm a little boy a little, very young boy, and I'm going to get victory over this gray giant and the Lord will know that you did not save me by the sword or spear for the battle belongs to the Lord and he will give it into our hands. David knew that it wasn't by his power, or by his might that he defeated Goliath. He knew that it was by the power of the Lord. Then in verse number four, he says, for you have maintained my right and my cause. Now, David Got that victory, one of the reasons he got that great victory because he was on the right side of the Lord it wasn't necessarily he was on the side of the Phil- on the side of the Israelites or on the side of the Philistines. actually later on when he goes to battle against saul it's almost it uh, uh, wants to go to battle against Saul with the philistines it's almost if he's on it, it's as if he's on the right side when he's with the Philistine because God is going to punish Israel and he's going to punish saul and and really, David would have been on the right side in that. So it's not a matter of, uh, are you an American, are you a Russian? You know, what makes you on the right side is if your cause is righteous. So he says, you have maintained my right in my cause. You sit on the throne judging in righteousness. Now, that was a no-brainer for the Lord to judge uh, Goliath and give David the victory. Because Goliath was blaspheming the Lord. He was a profane man. He was a pagan man. He worshipped pagan gods. And who was David? David was a man after God's own heart. And so, uh, you know, God judges righteously. He judges fairly. When he execute, executes judgment on your behalf or my behalf, he's going to do it fairly. We might not like his judgment sometimes. But they're always fair. They're always fair. Actually, we don't get what we deserve. Thank the Lord we don't get what we deserve. Uh, It's really the same thing. David's saying the same thing here that, that John said over in Revelation 19. He says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And we're talking about after Jesus returns. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. I mean, is, you think maybe God is just in judging this world when he comes back at the end of the Great Tribulation? Well, all you got to do is go back to what we're studying right now in the sto- story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We were given that vivid picture there of just how wicked those people had become. They were so wicked that they were going to take those angels out and rape them and kill them. And it was a generational thing. It was in every quarter. I mean, it was in every every nation, every nationality, every race, every religion. They had all gone bad. And and when God comes at the end of the tribulation, that's who he's coming to judge. A people just like that. Every quarter is evil. Every generation is evil. So there's no hope for the people left that he's going to judge. And so uh, he judges in righteousness. He makes war in righteousness. And Jesus is the alpha and he's the omega. He's the first, the last. And what that means is that he's been on his throne from the very beginning. And he did, he's not going to just start judging righteously uh, at the end of the great tribulation. He always judges righteously. He always makes war righteously. And, and when there's a war on this earth, God is the one who allows that. He allows that for his purposes. He uses it for his judgments. And so, but he's always righteous. And sometimes we think sometimes, well, well, that doesn't seem very righteous, but we don't see things from God's eyes. God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. He hears everything. He sees everything. He's omnipresent. He's there. So he knows what's right or wrong. He sees, even sees the future. He might judge some people just because he sees what they're going to do in the future. And he's not going to let them do that in the future. And he has the power. He's omnipotent. He has all power. And so uh, he has the right to judge as he, as he chooses to judge. And when he comes back to this earth and physically reigns on this earth uh, in the millennium, he's definitely going to judge in righteousness. You know, the millennium is not going to be what some people think it is. There is going to be a dictator on the throne in the millennium. His name is Jesus Christ. And you're either going to do things right or you're going to be out of here. I mean, it's his way or the highway, and there's not going to be any bending of the rules. It's going to be like it was when Israel was first formed as a nation and they were given the law. And a lot of the punishments for breaking that law were, were stoning. And uh, that's what they did. Remember the guy on the Sabbath picked up some sticks and they stoned him. Well, in the millennium, God's going to lay down the law. And people are going to obey it or they're going to be, they're going to be judged. And he judges fairly. And, 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 and you can see why. That's one of the great things about having studied Genesis like we have. I mean, Adam and Eve did something that seemed very simple and naive and almost innocent, even though it was very evil. But they, all they did was eat of a forbidden fruit. But in, look at what that sin of rebellion Has caused this world over the centuries. And so God sees all of that. God knew when they did that. That's why he said you'll surely die if you eat of it. Just how bad things were going to get. All the way out into the 21st century. And so so God is just in his judgment. Then in verse number five. uh, I think David here uh, prophesies about. uh, The judgment that's going to take place during the day of the Lord. And and. And he says in verse number five, you have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy. Destructions are finished forever. There's coming a time when God's going to be done with destroying his enemies. They're going to be gone. And you have destroyed the cities just like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Even their memory has perished. Can you imagine one day when we don't even remember New York City or Paris? I mean, I'm not saying they'll be totally destroyed. If I was a betting man, I'd say they would. They will be. And there's a time when they're going to be destroyed, and 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 one day their memory is going to be gone. We're not even. I mean, I, I tell you what. First, first time you see the Lord in His glory, you're going to forget anything you want, great thing you saw when you were in paris or when you were in new york city or when you were in lafayette at the festival or whatever those things are going to be gone forever uh he says in verse number seven but the lord shall endure forever and he has prepared his throne for judgment and his throne uh is going to be after the battle of armageddon we all know the story after the battle of armageddon Uh, Then we're going to go on the millennium and Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth and he's going to be a very strict judge. Uh, I think maybe that's we talk about what work the saints will do. I think maybe we will be judges on this earth. And uh, I mean, Paul says we will judge angels. So I imagine we will judge the people, too. And uh, during the millennium. And then one day, as as utopian as a society will be in the millennium, there will be a large majority of people. On this earth, not the saints, but, but uh, people from the people who were left after the great tribulation that, that uh, repopulate the world. There's going to be a large majority of those people that are going to rebel against the Lord. And in a moment, uh, twinkling of an eye, he's going to destroy them all. And then after that's, uh, that event, which is the final destruction of the wicked, then the Lord will uh, appear at his great white throne judgment seat. And you will see the final judgment of mankind and all the wicked people along with the devil, the false prophet and the Antichrist will be cast into the lake of fire and evil and wickedness will be destroyed forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. But the Lord and the people of the Lord will endure forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And John says. Uh, this about Jesus in Revelation 19, he says, he shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. Every judgment he makes will be perfectly righteous and it will be perfectly fair. but here 's the problem: in case you don 't know it or not we 're not in the millennium yet. And we're a long ways. I'm not saying a long time, but we're a long ways from being uh, what we're going to be when we're in the the millennium. And uh, uh, when the millennium comes, uh, that'll be great. But until then, there's still going to be wicked people on this earth. And the wicked people on this earth are going to oppress the righteous, uh, especially the weak among them the righteous they always have and they always will but here's the good news in verse number nine the lord who will be the lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in times of trouble uh but there's a condition i mean he's he's not a refuge for everybody uh he's he's uh He's not a refuge in times of trouble for everybody. He's not a refuge for every person who's oppressed. There are some conditions on this. Look at verse number 10. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. They're the ones who will find the Lord as their refuge. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You see the criteria there for getting God's help? It's pretty simple, right there. You got to know the name of the Lord, and that again, that word "know" means know in a relationship. You get, you you can't just know his name. You got to know his name in a relationship. And what's that name again? That name is Jehovah. For us, that name is Jehovah's salvation, Jesus. And and when we know Jesus as our salvation then he is a refuge for the oppressed uh he is a refuge in times of trouble I mean I I I don't have I'm preaching to the choir here I mean we're all believers where do you go when you're in trouble I mean I gotta tell you the first thing I do when I'm in trouble I turn to the Lord I don't turn to doctors I don't turn to lawyers I don't turn to counselors I don't turn to any of you I turn to the Lord Now, there's nothing wrong with wisdom and counselors and help from your friends that's all great but i'll tell you what you you know where you're at in your relationship with the lord by who you turn to when you're being oppressed when you're in trouble and if it's the lord you're in good shape if it's jesus you're in good shape and uh, those who know your name will put their trust in you for you O lord have not forsaken those now watch this it's not just knowing the name of the lord It's those who seek the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I mean, if you know the Lord, that's what I was saying earlier. If you know the Lord, you're going to seek the Lord first. You're going to seek the Lord's will first. You're going to seek the Lord's help first. You're going to seek the Lord's guidance first. You're going to seek the Lord's power first. And, and, and I, I know sometimes we fail at that. But that's where the victory is, is when we, we're seeking, putting our trust in the Lord, and we're seeking him first. And I know a lot of Christians, at least they call themselves Christians, they know the name of Jesus. And they, you know, if you call yourself a Christian, then you're saying, I'm, a, I'm of Christ, and so they know the name Christ. But for all practical purposes, they don't really know him in a relationship because they really don't seek him first. Uh, and and uh, that's what a real Christian does. That's what somebody who really knows the Lord does. I've done a little bit of counseling in the past 25 years in ministry, and I don't like doing counseling, and I'll tell you why. Because I, I, I believe again, who do you seek first? You seek the Lord first. He's wonderful counselor. I don't nobody's ever called me wonderful counselor. I'm not that at all. In fact, I've been called some bad names after doing counseling. <laughs> Certainly not wonderful counselor. But He is the wonderful counselor, and whenever I do counseling. I always bring it to this. Are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking his guidance? If you'll seek the Lord in this situation, if you'll seek the Lord in this trouble you're having in your marriage, if you'll seek the Lord in, and in, in once you're married, when I'm doing wedding marriage, marriage counseling, I say, see, if you guys seek the Lord together, you're going to have a successful marriage. And I've had people tell me, you know, Give me something more practical than that. And my response to that always is, I can't give you anything more practical than that. That's the most practical thing in the world for a Christian is to seek the Lord first. And I got to tell you, we're all guilty of always seeking something else first, or not always, but sometimes doing that. And, and, And we're just wasting our time when we do that. Now, God might tell you that Hey, you need to go see so and so about this situation, but let him tell you that I mean I certainly believe there 's some merit in some christian counseling but but only if you 've sought the lord first, and i, I don 't think there 's merit in any counseling outside of Christian counseling because a good Christian counselor is going to bring you to seeking the Lord uh, psychiatrist and Secular counselors could care less about the Lord. And so they're not going to bring you to the source of victory. They're not going to bring you to the source of the solution for your problem. So then in verse number 11, he says, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Now he's talking about heavenly Zion here. Declare his deeds Among the people. In other words. Seek him. As your refuge. And then watch him work. He's going to work on your behalf. In his time. And I think one of the best. Witnesses we have. Is when. As a parent or as a leader. We're seeking the Lord. And we're waiting on the Lord. And. We're not going to move. Until the Lord tells us to move. And then when the Lord tells us to move, we move and we move out in victory. And what a great witness that is. And then we can sing praises to the Lord who dwells in heaven. Because he's the one, like David got his victory from the Lord, we get our victories from the Lord. And he says in verse number 12, when he avenges blood, he remembers them, his own. He does not forget the cry of the humble. In other words, vengeance belongs to the Lord. When the Lord avenges you, when you've been wrong, and if you wait long enough and remember the Lord is a righteous judge. If you're in a situation where it's like you and Goliath, you give the Lord time, you're going to have the victory because the Lord is going to judge fairly and you're going to be in the right. Because you're a child of God and those Goliaths in life are not. Now where we get ourselves into trouble is when we pass judgment on each other other children of God and say Lord get them for what they've done to me and then they're saying get him for what you know he did to me And, and that's wrong. That's wrong because God is our judge. We're not the judge of other people. And vengeance belongs to the Lord. And again none of us want to get what we deserve. And all of us when we're when we're seeking vengeance, it's for something that we probably have done to somebody else ourselves. And so we don't want God to get us. So we don't want God to get them. But but the Lord's going to avenge not just blood, but he's going to avenge your wrongs. If you're clearly in the right, because he judges in righteousness, Uh he, when he avenges, but he remembers them, he does not forget. Now, there's a criteria here, too, to, to, for God to be your refuge and to be the one who takes vengeance on your enemies. He, he does not forget the cry of the humble, humble, the humble, those who have humbled themselves before the Lord, those who recognize that outside the grace of God, they're no better than the people you're seeking vengeance on. And so we seek him and we begin by recognizing our own sin, our own unrighteousness. I, I, every time I come to that situation, I always I, I'm mad at somebody and I'm like, Lord, you have, please make them do the right thing. And the Lord can point up and say to me, well, did you do the right thing over here? He can actually show me a case very similar to the one I'm pleading on that I was wrong in and deserved to be punished. So The Lord's merciful and he's long-suffering. But if you're being wrong and you're clearly right, God's going to hear the cry of the humble. Uh, He doesn't forget the cry of the humble. So what we say in verse number 13, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. In other words, by by your mercy, not because I deserve it, but have mercy on me. And And consider my trouble from those who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death. but Save me because of your mercy. Even save me from death. Then verse number 14, that we may tell of all your praise. In the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. Who's the daughter of Zion? Well, who's he speaking of there? He's speaking of Zion as heavenly Zion. Who's the daughter of that of God in Zion? It's, it's Israel. Both physical Israel and spiritual Israel. It's the people of God. And we rejoice in our salvation. Uh... The victory that he he gives us over our enemies, but more importantly, the victory he gives us over sin and death. That's what we really rejoice in. Uh, The victory we get over sin and death that comes through none other than Jesus Christ, Jehovah. Then in verse number 13, the nations, the heathen here, maybe a better translation. The heathen have sunk down in the pit which they have made in the net which they hid Uh, their own food is caught. Uh, what's he saying right there? He's saying the same thing we saw last week. Uh, the wicked God doesn't really have to do much to punish the wicked. All he has to do is leave them alone. And eventually their, their wicked acts are going to come back to roost on their own head. And, uh, they're going to be punished. That's why a lot of times you just back off. Somebody's treating you really bad. You say, God, give me in mercy. Uh, take care of this situation this difficult situation I'm in and just let just sit back and just watch and 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 all God has to do is just let them go their way and more than likely uh, they're gonna they're gonna fall in the own pit that they dug uh, because that principle is oh that principle is given to us over and over again in the Bible both positive and negative what we sow is what we reap if you reap wickedness, if you reap harm, I mean, if you sow harm, if you sow wickedness on other people, you're going to reap harm and you're going to reap wickedness. It's just the way God set things up. That's why you look at the political situation in the United States of America today. It's dog eating dog. I mean, on every side, it's just terrible the way it's gotten. But it's wicked biting one another and reaping what reaping what they're Wanting the other person to suffer. Look at verse number sixteen. It says the Lord has known. It, the Lord is known by ju- the judgment He executes. I mean, that's that's who He is. We know the Lord by the way He executes judgment. How does He execute judgment? Always fairly, always with mercy, uh, always He's long suffering. Uh, but here's where a lot of people go wrong. He's long suffering and He's loving. But he is just and he's known by his justice. He's known by his love, but he's known by his justice every bit as much as he's known by his love. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. And think about that. Selah, I mean, again, it's the same thing. What you sow is what you reap. Uh, they. uh the wicked who uh, set out to harm the righteous, they're going to harm themselves in the end. And then in verse number 17, it says, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations, all the peoples that forget God, intentionally forget God, that shove God out of their lives, they shall be turned into hell. Now, progressive Christians who believe that there's all sorts of ways that lead to heaven and that there's no such thing. We talked about this a few Sundays ago. There's no such thing as hell need to read uh, Psalm number nine, because there is such a thing as hell. The wicked and the wicked are going to be turned to hell. All the nations that forget God are going to go to hell. Uh, and and either God's telling the truth here or God's lying. And if God is lying, then how can we believe anything in this word? We know that this is true. Now, none of us want to rejoice in that. Uh, It's it's sad that there's a hell. It's sad that the wicked are going to hell. But just thank God we're not. But but remembering while we're thanking God that the only reason we're not is because of the great mercy of God. Of God, and then he says in verse eighteen, he says, "For the needy, the oppressed shall not always be uh, forgotten; the expectation of the poor shall shall not perish forever. The poor have hopes too. Uh, one day, their hopes are going to be fulfilled. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, one day, one day, uh, those who are poor in spirit are going to inherit everything." Uh, so, uh, God, God's eyes are on the poor, poor in spirit, poor physically too. If you're poor in spirit, uh, and there's a lot of people who are poor in spirit, who are poor in physical ways, not so much in America, but if you look around the world, that's certainly the case. Then we finish it up in verse 19 and 20, and it's almost. Sounds like Maranatha, Lord Jesus, right here. It says, Arise, O Lord. Do not let man prevail. Have you ever come to the point in your life where you're sick and tired of the ways of men? Sick and tired of humanism. Sick and tired of human government. Sick and tired of human everything. Everything. Humanism as a whole, I mean, I've certainly reached that point. I mean, it makes me sick. It vexes my soul. I mean, I'm living in Sodom in a way, but, but, but it, vexes, it vexes my soul to see what men are doing to this world and what they want to do to this world, to make it as godless as they possibly can, to make it as wicked as they possibly can. Arise, O Lord, do not let men prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. And the only way that's going to happen is how. The Lord's going to have to return. I mean, there's going to be some good times in the midst of all of this wickedness and some good people in the midst of ma- wicked people made good in the midst of all this wickedness. But, but for, for, for uh, men no longer to prevail, the Lord's going to have to return. Put them in fear, O Lord that the nations may know themselves to be but men. You know, if you ask anybody, any man or woman on the street, are you a man, or are you a woman? They say certainly, of course. But you know what? I think a lot of men and women think there's something more than just a man or a woman. That there's something like a God. And they believe in the same lie that, that Satan told Eve and Adam in the garden, and that you can be like God. Uh, we're not gods, uh, and, and, uh, put the world needs to know that, you know, I tell you what, I saw a lot of people that thought they were pretty tough people when they saw those towers falling in New York that didn't seem so tough, didn't feel so tough after that. People who get diagnosed with some terrible disease and you think, oh man, I'm, I'm a really tough person. And then all of a sudden you don't feel so tough. You feel pretty bad. And I, 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 what that, what David is crying out for is for the Lord to come back and to rule and reign, but to humble this world, to humble people, humble people in the sight of the Lord, so He can lift us up to what we were intended to be. We we're intended to be uh, people made in the image of God, living in the image of God. But that's only going to happen when the Lord arises up off that throne in heavenly Zion. And he comes to this earth and he rules and reigns beginning in the millennium. And then at that point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what an encouragement to know that if we'll live righteously, we can count on the fact that you're on our side in this wicked world. And, Lord, that you're a refuge for the oppressed. You're a refuge for those who are being persecuted by the wicked. Lord, that if we'll name your name and seek you above all things, just like David had victory over Goliath, we can have great victories in our lives, too. But, Lord, we have to wait on you. We have to trust you. We have to do things in your timing. Help us to be those kind of people, Lord. And Lord, help us to always remember that we are who we are because of your great mercy. And Lord, when we realize that and we live like that, we're not so quick to judge others. Lord, help us to be kind. Help us to be loving. Help us to be merciful. Help us to be long-suffering, just as you were with us. We just ask you for those graces by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.